Well, the title of today's message is A Steadfast Spirit. And if you can turn with me to Psalm 51, uh, we're going to be reading from the New International Version. It's a Psalm of David. The words are also on the screen. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 13. You can picture David praying this prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Now the context to this psalm is that David had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, and after that he had arranged for her husband Uriah to be killed in battle. God in his mercy sent the prophet Nathan to confront David And Psalm 51 contains David's prayer of repentance. It is a heartfelt prayer. David pleading to God for a clean heart, for a steadfast spirit, and pleading that the Lord will not take his Holy Spirit from him. Now we must remember that David had a heart that pleased the Lord. Can you remember how he, as a young boy, was tending the sheep? of his father, when Samuel the prophet was sent to Jesse with an instruction from God to go and anoint the future king. And when Samuel arrived at Jesse's home, this is what happened. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 6 to 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, he was the eldest brother, and thought, surely he is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, after that, each one of David's brothers passed before Samuel. Brother after brother after brother. They all get named as you continue to read. And each time, God says, I have not chosen this one. 
After all the brothers have passed through, Samuel says to Jesse, do you by any chance have any other brothers? He says, there's one more. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Go, quickly, go call him. David comes along. The Bible says that he was ruddy looking. You can imagine. I'm sure he had been uh, practicing his slingshot. And uh, so he comes along and uh, he stands before Samuel and God says, this is the one. Anoint him. See, God looked at David's heart. And David was a worshiper. We know that. He played his harp. He worshipped the Lord. He was a psalmist. We read the psalms. We can see his heart for worship. He had such an incredible heart for God. His heart was after God. But David was also very devoted. He was a devoted man. He had a devoted heart. He was ready to obey the Lord. No matter what God asked him to do, he would do it. In Acts 13, verse 22, we read an incredible scripture about David. It says, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. May we have hearts like David. May we have hearts like David. May we be worshippers. May we love the Lord. May we be devoted. And may we do everything that God asks us to do. Now, if we look at David's life from a bird's eye view, so we're looking at his whole life. So we see him as a young boy, steadfast, 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 steadfast. He goes to battle against Goliath, defeats Goliath, stays steadfast, serves under Saul, even when Saul strayed. He continued to serve faithfully, steadfast, steadfast, steadfast. He becomes king. He's a steadfast king. The Bible says that David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. That's found in Psalm 78. Steadfast, steadfast. Then we see him commit adultery with Bathsheba and organize Uriah's murder. At the same time, we see heartfelt repentance. Heartfelt repentance. After that, we see steadfast, steadfast, steadfast for the rest of his days. It's quite remarkable, this, after what he did. You know, so many of the kings that we read about in the Bible, they started well, they started serving the Lord, and then something happened and they strayed. They no longer served the Lord towards the end of their reign. Yet David stayed steadfast in his latter years. In fact, he spent his latter years focused on doing what God told him to do. And God told him to subdue the nation so that there would be peace in Solomon's reign. And God told him to collect everything that was needed for the building of the temple. And he did both those things. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 17 to 19. We can read about David's devotion to the Lord even in his latter years. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, listen to this, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. So how did David live steadfastly despite his sin? How did he bounce back from so terrible a sin? He did this by turning to God 
in his darkest hour. When he was confronted with his sin, he didn't justify it. He didn't make excuses. He didn't get arrogant. He could quite easily have said, well, I'm the king. I'll do what I want to do. He didn't do that. Instead, he humbled himself. He confessed his sin. And he repented. He turned from his sin. That's what repentance means. You stop doing that. And he pleaded to God for mercy. Listen again to Psalm 51. I'm just going to read verses 10 to 12. Listen to his prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And the Lord answered his prayer and granted him his request. God gave David a clean heart, a pure heart. He renewed a steadfast spirit within him. He didn't take his Holy Spirit from David. He continued to walk in the anointing. So what can we learn from this? Well, firstly, we can learn that we serve a very, very merciful God. He's very merciful, our God. And we can learn that even if we have sinned or made mistakes or done things that we regret, it is never too late to turn back to God. To pray a prayer of repentance like David prayed and then to trust the Lord to help us live steadfast lives from that moment on. You know, I had a long chat to a friend of mine the other day. Uh, his name's Vaughan, and he and I have been friends since we were five years old. We were friends through primary school and high school. He's also a pastor at a church in Johannesburg. And uh, in uh, our late teens and early 20s, we were involved in a youth, young adult ministry at a church on the West Rand. And uh, as we spoke, he mentioned a couple of people who had been on fire for the Lord 20 years ago, with us, on fire for the Lord. They were walking close to the Lord, very close to the Lord, but then no longer walking close to the Lord. He just mentioned to me, he said, hey, these guys are not walking close to the Lord. They've, they've disconnected from church. And I just said, it's so devastating. You know, these two of them that he mentioned were, were our inspiration. They, they were stronger in the faith than we were at that age. And Vaughan and I realized that it could have been us. We could have been the ones that had drifted from the Lord. <coughs> Friends, remaining steadfast all our days and finishing well is something that we need to pray for. We need to say, Lord, will you give us a steadfast spirit? It's a matter of prayer because God will answer that. But it's also something that we need to live for in our daily choices. We need to choose God. Here are three things that we need to be careful of. Things that can negatively impact our walk with the Lord. The first one is disobedience. Deliberate sin has a way of robbing us of the joy of our salvation. This is what happened to David. The joy of his salvation was missing and he cried out for the Lord to restore it. We just pondered on how David... You know, he, 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 he knew he had to make his life right with the Lord. He knew that he was missing something. He, he asked God just to, to not take his presence from him. Disobedience really impacts our intimacy with the Lord. Can you remember the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son? When he was living his own life for himself, 
He was far from the Father. He actually went to a foreign land. And when he came back in repentance to his Father, he was brought back into the house, back into intimacy with his Father. The second thing is distractions. When we take our eyes off Jesus and his spiritual kingdom, we can get distracted by the cares of the world, the worries of life, the fears. We can get distracted by the deceitfulness of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure. It's so important that we just look at Jesus and we just keep our eyes on him and we keep focusing on the fact that there's a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom of light that we are part of. In fact, anything that becomes an idol can distract us from God and His good and perfect will for our lives. He's got a very good, perfect will for our lives. As we keep our eyes on Him and on His plans, we can walk in it. So I mentioned disobedience and distractions. The third one is disappointment. You know, it's very hard to lose a loved one. It's very hard to lose a loved one. Sure, there are many people here who have lost a loved one. And... uh, Especially if it's a shock, surprise, unexpected. It's very hard to lose a job and to be unemployed. It's very hard to have a chronic illness or a terminal illness. It's very hard to be in need financially. Every month you don't have enough and the debt just keeps growing. It's very hard. And the enemy of our souls will do anything he can to get us to blame God or to get offended with God in times of disappointment. He loves to do that. He wants us to get disappointed with God. But we know that the right thing to do in our disappointment is rather to run to God, is to go to Him, is to call out to Him, to cry out to Him for help and comfort and mercy and strength. Now let me shift a gear for a moment. The Bible says that our faith journey is like a race. It's like a race that we're running. We read about this in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read you the first two verses of Hebrews 12 from the New King James Version. It is on the screen. This is what it says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We need to be steadfast. We need to run with endurance. And this is about having a firm loyalty, having a constant, unswerving dedication to the Lord and to living a life that will bring glory to His name. This is about every day waking up and saying, Lord, today I want to live in a way that will glorify You. In the words that I speak, the meditations of my heart, and every action. Lord God, I want to live a life that is steadfast and devoted to You. So let's ponder on this scripture in Hebrews 12 because it contains some keys that can help us to nurture a steadfast spirit. How do we nurture a steadfast spirit? Well, firstly, to nurture a steadfast spirit, it is helpful to continually look to Jesus. Because everything comes down to falling in love with Jesus. 
just falling in love with Jesus and remaining in love with Jesus, staying in love with Him. He is the author of our faith. You know, without Jesus, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be able to worship like we did earlier. We would have no object of praise. And He is the perfecter. He is the finisher of our faith. He is the one that will watch us to the end. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to meditate on different scriptures or stories in the Bible about Jesus. I specifically like verses or stories about Jesus because they help me not to take him for granted. You know, when you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and it's like, Jesus, and I never want to get there. I want to always be going, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're so powerful. I always want to have a picture of Jesus that lifts faith inside of me. Think for a moment about the miracle of Jesus' birth. Here, the creator of the world, God himself, born as a little baby. Emmanuel, God with us. I love that. I love the name Emmanuel, God with us. So great. Think about the mystery of his childhood. You know, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood. It's just shrouded in mystery. You get this little glimpse of him at 12 years old where he's sitting amongst the teachers and he's asking them questions and he's listening to their answers and it says that they were amazed at his wisdom. That's our little glimpse of him and his childhood. But then we see the ministry years and that's when we read the Gospels and we just see Jesus and he's moving around Israel and he's preaching about the kingdom of God and he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. I mean, he heals the sick he gives sight to the blind. He casts out demons. He raises the dead. This is what Jesus does. I think for many of us, when we ponder on Jesus, we ponder on his monumental sacrifice and we focus on how he died for the cross, on the cross for us. And just how we call it the great exchange. You know, he took our sin and then he gave us his righteousness. How his blood came and washed us clean. And then I love the magnificent resurrection where Jesus rose again. He defeated the power of sin and death. He rose again as King of kings, Lord of lords, with all authority under his feet. Let me read you a scripture. It's found in Revelations 19, verse 11 to 16. I want to encourage you to close your eyes here because this uh, picture was given to John when he was right on the island, uh, exiled on Patmos, and uh, when he then wrote the book of Revelation based on the visions he had seen. So, can you close your eyes and picture that you're seeing the very same picture that John saw? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Picture that. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe, 
And on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't it incredible? But as we picture Jesus, wow, our whole perspective of life changes. You see, friends, we can look to Jesus, and in looking to him, all the things of this world, all the trinkets and temptations and pleasures, all the wealth and success and prestige, everything becomes dim and dull in the light of his glory. And this helps us to run the race he has for our lives with a steadfast spirit and with joy in our hearts. So we nurture a steadfast spirit when we look to Jesus. But secondly, we also nurture a steadfast spirit when we look to the cloud of witnesses, to all the men and women of faith that have gone before us into eternal glory. Let me reread Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The great cloud of witnesses is composed of the people described in Hebrews 11, the chapter just before Hebrews 12. Men and women who lived by faith and were commended for their faith. As I mentioned a few names, try to remember their story and their faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, David, there's David, friends, David, Samuel, and the prophets. They are all mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. As we read the word of God and we ponder on their lives, we can be encouraged by their faithfulness, by their steadfast spirits. You see, they lived on earth just like us. They faced difficulties just like we do. And they remind us that others have run the race and won. And their witness stirs up in us a desire to run the race and win too. Who are the witnesses that inspire you in your faith walk? Who are your witnesses? I have some other witnesses. Um, people in heaven now who have run the race with a steadfast spirit. Think about my dad. Think about my gran, my mentor Roy, and some pastors that have had a really big impact in my life and that are with the Lord now. I think of Pastor Sam Ennis, Pastor Richard Mabry, I honor them. And... Uh, they inspire me to a steadfast life. They help me to want to finish well. So who in the Bible do you look up to? Who are your favorite characters in the Bible? I uh, have got quite a few of them. I love Abraham. I think Abraham is a real man of faith. I love uh, Samuel and David. I really like Daniel. Daniel's one of my favorite uh, men of faith in the Bible. If you look at the New Testament, I... I find that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, is an incredible man of faith. Every time God spoke, he said, yes, quite incredible. Real man of faith for me. Paul, Barnabas, Apostle John, Peter, so many for me. Or do you perhaps have a loved one that has 
gone to be with the Lord. Do you have a loved one that is part of this cloud of witnesses that you think about? And when you think about them, just the way they live makes you want to serve the Lord for the rest of your lives. Be encouraged, no matter what you are going through in your life, you have a great cloud of witnesses that is urging you on. They're saying, come on, come on, come on, live for the Lord all your days. My third point is that we need to look to fellow pilgrims to help us live steadfast lives. See, we are not of this world. We are pilgrims passing through. Earth is not our home. Heaven is our true home. I mentioned earlier some of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Now in verse 13 of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we read the following. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. But don't you love that? They were still living by faith when they died. Still living by faith. And then in verse 16 it says, Instead, they were longing for a better country, for a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. And He has prepared a city for them. So as travelers on earth, we need fellow pilgrims for companionship and for support and for protection. We need each other. We really need each other. You know, the Apostle Paul had many companions. He was not a loner. He was not a one-man band, the Apostle Paul. Luke traveled with him often and penned the book of Acts. It was Luke that wrote the book of Acts. Silas traveled with him as a very faithful companion, and he was also a scribe. But there were others. Can you remember Barnabas and Timothy, how they traveled with Paul? Now, I'm going to read seven verses quickly to you from Romans chapter 16. If you've been involved with the New Testament in 260 days, you would have read this chapter about a month ago. And it contains Paul's greeting to all his friends. Now, listen to all the people that he mentioned that were his companions in his walk with the Lord. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Incredible. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I wonder what they did. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, I give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. I was just thinking that he would make it into the Guinness Book of Records. He was the first person in Asia to become a follower of Jesus. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. And now take note, especially of the last couple. Greet Adronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles. And became followers of Jesus before I did. How many of you have heard about Adronicus and Junior before? It's incredible, hey? These are people that were alongside Paul, helping him in his journey. In Proverbs uh, 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So I want to say that we must never underestimate the importance of having travel companions in the faith. Paul needed help at times, and so do we. And we must never underestimate the impact that our lives are having on other people. 
very often it's not even what we do or say, but just who we are. Our presence in someone's life, our love for them, a kind word, a listening ear can make all the difference. Our example, as we endeavor to live a steadfast life, it can help someone else to endeavor to live a steadfast life. If you're feeling lonely or isolated or exposed in your Christian journey, please will you consider joining one of our life groups or maybe getting involved in some volunteer area of our church that you can just become part of community. You can build some friends and you've just got some other people that you can get to know, that can pray with you, support you, and you can do the same for them. So my last point is a brief one. We can nurture a steadfast spirit by looking to Jesus, by looking to the cloud of witnesses, and by looking to fellow pilgrims. But we can also develop a steadfast spirit by looking to the lost. Listen to what David prayed in Psalm 51 after asking for a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Listen to this verse. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David had a heart for the lost. He wanted to teach transgressors the ways of the Lord, and he wanted to see sinners turn back to God. Every time we look to the lost with compassion and with love, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are more and more focused on His kingdom when we look to people who are in need of His salvation. I believe that we can have the best impact on reaching the lost when we share the good news of God's grace and mercy with them. When we meet someone who isn't a believer, the best message for them is that God is gracious and merciful. And we can share that message most authentically when we have been on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy. When He's forgiven us, then we just want to tell them that their situation is not impossible to overcome. They can come back to the Lord and the Lord's still got a plan for their lives. The enemy of our soul feeds a lie to many believers who have fallen into sin. Perhaps some of you have heard this lie. It sounds like this. How can you think about serving the Lord after what you have done? You have disqualified yourself. Is anyone here that has heard those words from the enemy of our souls? If you have heard those words, I encourage you today to renounce them, to renounce the enemy's lie, and to receive Christ's mercy and forgiveness, and then to let him restore the kingdom assignment, the kingdom mandate that he has for your life. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God's prepared things for us to do. The enemy wants us to be disqualified from that. In God's word, he says, the gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. So those things that the Lord has given you, those gift things, and that mandate that he's given you, it's irrevocable. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are steadfast. We thank you that you're steadfast, Lord. That your steadfast love never ceases. 
And that your mercies never come to an end. Today we approach your throne of grace and we ask that you will create in us clean hearts and renew in us a steadfast spirit. Help us, Jesus, to live faithfully for you all our days and to bring glory to your name. May our hearts, Lord, may our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to you. We can look to the cloud of witnesses. We can look to our fellow pilgrims and we can look to the lost. And in so doing, we, like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, can do great exploits for your name and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.